Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Now it's time for Inside the Clubhouse, a show dedicated to the Chicago baseball fan, featuring the best Chicago baseball conversation as well as the big MLB topics, along with the biggest names, greatest guests, and listener interaction. Starring Score Baseball Insider Bruce Levine and Matt Spiegel. It all starts right here, right now on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago's sports station. Presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook. Good morning to you, baseball people. It is Saturday morning, and that means inside the clubhouse. Every Saturday, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m., I am Matt Spiegel, and he is Bruce Levine. Happy Thanksgiving, Bruce, to you and yours. Hope you're having a good holiday weekend, sir. Absolutely. A different holiday weekend. A lot of um, virtual celebrating this year, but I think that's uh, nation and worldwide. Uh, Just uh, happy to have our health and our family members uh, going okay, and uh, that's what we uh, look at. But uh, another great morning of baseball talk. Uh, We have a fun show planned for you. At uh, 9.30, we have our good friend Jim Callis from MLB Pipeline talk about the White Sox, Cubs, minor leaguers, and uh, what we can expect going forward in the draft. At 10 o'clock, Wayne Randazzo. Yes, a Chicagoan. Yes, a successful Chicagoan. He's one of the voices of the New York Mets on radio, along with our friend uh, Howie, Howie Rose. And uh, maybe a surprise guest at 1030. We'll, we'll see. But might, White Sox fans might want to check in around 1030 as well. You're always welcome here at 312-644-6767. That's our phone and text line. And Matt will read all that's worthy to read on the radio. Sometimes... He'll let you slide in with something that isn't, right, Matt? Absolutely. Oh, man, if I get to be the arbiter of that, it, worthiness is a very low bar, depending on my your mood. Boss, your boss of text line. You are the boss. <laughs> um, Bruce, my virtual leftovers were delicious, by the way. The cranberry sauce, a little crunchy in the virtual sandwich, but, uh, but still got it done. <laughs> um, I had it, to throw it, mine it, away. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, my computer crashed. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's bound to happen. If you don't have enough storage in the fridge or on the external hard drive, then those That's leftovers. It. Yeah, well, it's a pained, pained metaphor that I think we've probably drawn everything out of uh, that we can possibly draw. But who knows? Yes. The, the, this, the show is young. Um, it, it, it's an awkward baseball offseason for many reasons we have discussed, but Wednesday could be a big day. That's the day for the non-tender candidates hmm. to be um, announced. Um, and, and I thought it might be wise to kind of uh, explain to people that process a little bit, um, Bruce, because it's, it, yeah. it, it's, it's weird and it's been getting a lot of talk. But 
essentially Wednesday is the deadline for teams to offer contracts to all their guys with less than six years of eligibility. That includes the arbitration-eligible guys and the non-arbitration-eligible guys, which would be like the first three people in the, in the Cubs' sense. Um, you know, it's, it's some of those guys you know, and, and I mean, some of those guys are just the earlier ones that we don't even really discuss. But if you tender a contract to these arbitration-eligible players, it doesn't mean that you have set a salary, but that you've agreed to come to terms on a salary between December 2nd, which is Wednesday, and sometime in late February. So it maintains control. You might end up stuck with the player, but you could still negotiate with the player and you could still trade the player, right? Yeah, that's right. And uh, you, you, you have a chance to also uh, sever relations again up until I think the, um, there's a couple periods in March where you can uh, sever contracts at a certain percentage on players that have one-year deals. That's also available to you, but hmm. this is a big date for uh, players, and and especially more this year, Matt, because of the economic situation that baseball clubs are in, and the fact that they want to trim payroll because they do not know what the revenue sources or streams are going to be in 2021, and uh, therefore you want to trim down and give your general manager or president of baseball operations. Uh, the opportunity uh, to have more flexibility in his payroll, or in this case, in his or her payroll, uh, now that we have our first female GM, and uh, they uh, they will be able to uh, go into the season, you know, a little bit less constrained, uh, having to hold on to uh, guys that are making somewhere between two and six seven million dollars and really didn't perform up to a snuff over the last year or two hmm. yeah so you know january 15th is when players will have to come back with what they believe they should be paid and arbitration hearings if they happen would be in early february but let's let's discuss what what might be happening right now um because let, let's take a look at one guy like kyle schwarber at this point, is a is a proven left-handed slugger. Maybe not the top, the highest end left-handed slugger, but he's fairly fairly proven as a dependable lefty guy who's going to hit lots of power. Thoroughly acceptable in left field. Obviously built for the DH, which may be universal. He's expected to get around eight million dollars in arbitration. It, it it won't go to that. If you're the Cubs right now and you've got to make a decision on him this offseason. You're trying – are you investigating trade opportunities now? you got to figure out how many teams realistically would even pay Kyle Schwarber $8 million. Because if you tender a contract and you're locked in, then, you know, there's only a certain amount of teams you could even talk to uh, at that point. How many teams realistically you think would pay Kyle Schwarber $8 million, Bruce? Oh, I think there would be a lot of them. Uh, I, I, I believe you throw 2020 out to a large extent for most of the players. If – if you're trying to rate, Matt, if you're trying to rate the Cub Core 4 off of their 2021 or 2020 performance, what do you got? I mean, all, all of them were, had horrible years, right? Mm-hmm. Schwerber, Baez, Rizzo, Bryant, they all had miserable seasons, right? I mean, it was just a complete washout for the two months. But the perspective is, is that, you know, basically you saw players for April and May, Okay. 60 games. 
So if you're going to put all that credence into what Kyle Schwarber is from uh, two months of 2020, I think you're losing perspective of what the player is. He's going to be 28 years old in 2019, coming off of uh, 38 home runs and uh, 92 RBI. This is a guy with left-handed power that would be valued not only with the Cubs, but a lot of different places. You know, can you imagine him on a uh, right-handed heavy team with the New York Yankees in Yankee Stadium? Uh, that That is a team that's looking for left-handed pop. So there, there is a lot of in, there would be a lot of interest in Kyle Schwarber, but uh, I, I don't think you're alluding to the fact that they might not tender him, do, are you? No, uh, no I, I mean, th- there's some non-tender candidates out there, whether it's Eddie Rosario or Gary Sanchez or some of these names that are right. very, really surprising. And I've seen Schwarber's name out there. Hell, I've, I've seen Chris Bryant written about a, a, in, in such ways as a possible sure. non-tender candidate in those kind of ways. I, I guess I'm trying to figure out how brutal it's going to be. I mean, because right. are we going to see a glut of new free agents as teams get money off their books in the simplest way possible? Um, or, or, or has that been overstated in these, in these previous weeks as we've been looking up to this moment as the theoretical true beginning of an offseason when you figure out exactly how many free agents are really going to be out there? Yeah, and you bring up some good examples. Sanchez is a great example with the Yankees. They're starting catcher, guy that does potential of 30 to 40 home runs, but uh, also the potential to hit 190 and uh, not be able to block balls in the dirt. Mm-hmm. and not call the game that you want. Um, great arm, great power. Um, but at this point, I think what you point out is very viable, and that is we're going to call BS on all that stuff if we have to pay him uh, $8, $10, 12000000 million. I think his, his would be uh, $10 million, somewhere around there, as far as his arbitration figure. Um, that's really significant now. It, it's huge. I mean, when you come to... Uh, Bryant's name being out there, he's going to make somewhere around $20 million in arbitration. Uh, the numbers from last year didn't cut it. But, you know, again, are you really going to non-tender Chris Bryant, a guy that could be still a very good player for you this year or bring you something back in a trade? Um, again, these are the tough decisions that they have to make now. And again, this is an offseason like no other that we've seen before where we're going to see players that are non-tender that would normally be kept. Yeah, and, uh, and, and Wednesday will be the day that, uh, right. that that begins. And you've got, you've got the Rule 5 draft on December 10th, where college players who have been drafted no later than 2017, high school players drafted no later than 2016, um, as, as internationally signed players from no later than that. Basically, guys you've had around for a while, if you're not on your 40-man roster, they become available for the Rule 5 draft. Think, think that'll be more active? Uh, you know, I'm just trying to think of, of ways where teams can um, be very active on the low-money front uh, and might be active on, on simply trimming money. I, I, I wonder if that's what we're going to see. Well, you know, teams like the White Sox and the Padres, who are considered the, the, the two top top two out of three, four teams in baseball as far as having uh, good young players that are controllable and prospects, they run into a problem uh, for the Rule 5 because of the fact that um, you can only have so many good players on your 40-man roster. And then, as you mentioned, 
uh, the time variables for the others. So I think teams like San Diego and the White Sox will lose players who can't be protected on the 40-man roster because uh, they're so deep in, in some of the areas um, that they have. Uh, you know, especially, you know, you saw the White Sox move uh, three pitchers up to their 40-man roster about a week ago. Uh, you're going to see trimming down and then adding more. Uh, part of the variable of non-tendering, and the assumption here is that Carlos Rodan and Nomar Mazzara will likely be non-tendered. Part of that also gives you two spots left back on your 40-man to protect a couple players that you really can't protect right now. So the function of this next week is we're liable to see 60 to 75 players non-tendered, which would be a really high number, you know, something an average of two a team uh, because of the the economics out there in baseball and the fact that, uh, you know, some, some teams are deep enough that they can let go of a Carlos Rodon and not really worry about it. Rodon, uh, you know, a number three draft pick, you know, back in 2014, 2013, 2014, um, this is a guy that uh, has a tremendous upside and has always has had it. But injuries have plagued him throughout his career. I think he's been on the DL every year since 2015. And uh, he will be off on the free agent market immediately after December 2nd, if the White Sox non-tender him at a number uh, for 2021, that would be around $5 million a year. So it's going to be, it's going to be very, very interesting. So the White Sox perspective. Yeah, I think that makes sense. So I think, you know, during this week, you'll start to see and hear people talking about what might've been with Rodon, what was attempted and failed with Mazzara and what might still be possible with Renata Lopez. His number will probably be low enough that you'll, they'll, they'll hold on to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you would expect the Cubs to tender contracts to their guys, to, to Kyle Ryan, to Kyle Schwarber, to Chris Bryant. You'd expect to see those tendered, Bruce? Well, uh, of course, I, I, don't, I don't think you can uh, non-tender Chris Bryant or or Schwarber, that's that's probably out of the question. Even though it's been brought up, as you said, of, about Brian, because of the high number, $20 million. Um, but I, I think you're going to see Albert Elmore Jr., who was number six pick, I think, in the 2012 draft, number one by the Cubs. I think he'll be non-tendered. I think there's a good chance Ryan will be non-tendered. But uh, the point that you bring up about Ryan, and we talked about it previously, is that uh, they don't have many left-handed options in their bullpen right now. And he's not going to, you know, his number is not going to scare a lot of pe- a lot of people away. It's not going to be five or six million dollars in arbitration, probably be two or three. Um, you know, that one, they're, they're going to have to figure out whether or not they want to do it or not. But, you know, Elmora, uh, Jose Martinez, who they acquired mm-hmm. uh, from Tampa, uh, whose number is going to be around five or six million dollars. He's probably a non-tender candidate. How does he fit in the 2021 grouping of the Chicago Cubs? Let me ask you a question about a possible Chris Bryant deal. Been 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 thinking about this. I don't I don't know that Cub fans are are prepared for for what it might end up being. Like I'm looking at the Paul Goldschmidt trade mm-hmm. to the Cardinals um, with one season left on his deal from Arizona. 
and that was for three young players from the Cardinals to Arizona, including Carson Kelly, who's their starting catcher, including Luke Weaver, who's a rotation piece. Um, you know, so three young guys include that's you know a very highly rated position player like Kelly and a highly rated mm-hmm. pitcher not too far away. Is that is that realistic right now for Bryant? I think that's that's a that's more than what the Cubs are probably going to get for for Chris Bryant right now because Goldschmidt was coming off a much better year in a different kind of market. Um, and, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm trying to figure out exactly what kind of profile you're going to get in the trade package for Chris Bryant. Well, you know, I think his uh, marketability might be higher than we think. And, you know, we've seen him. We saw him struggle mightily in uh, 2020 with injuries. And we've seen injuries plague him uh, since 2016. You know, uh, you know, just uh, all, a myriad of different injuries have slowed him down. But the versatility of Chris Bryant, uh, the potential of Chris Bryant that we've seen fulfilled as Rookie of the Year and MVP, and playing at age 28, uh, with, with the next four years being his prime years ahead of him, somebody might want to jump the market and not wait till he's a free agent after 2021 and uh, get this player and do something pretty much like the uh, Dodgers did with the uh, Mookie Betts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, 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 you jump the market. If you're Washington, okay, and you know you need power, and you know you need a reliable third baseman and a guy that's flexible to move around, you know he's a Scott Boris client who uh, the owners of the Washington Nationals have had uh, great relationships along with our friend Mike Rizzo, who's the president of baseball operations there. Uh, that, might be, that might be a solid fit and something similar to what we saw with Betts. He's not going to get bets money at any point but um as brian's told me over the years i've made a lot of money already i want to i want to play where i want to play and i want to play on championship caliber teams and the money will take care of itself mm-hmm. that's a, that's truly the essence of bryant and um i think a lot of teams would really benefit from having him including the chicago cubs under a more ideal situation right now the waters are, you know, muddied with Chris Bryant in Chicago. But you take him off of uh, the Cubs, he looks a lot different on other teams, don't you think? Yeah, yep, yeah, certainly, uh, potentially. When it's not, when not, you're not a, sitting around expecting him to become the megastar that he has not become, um, and it's a more realistic ceiling mm-hmm. that you're hoping for for Chris Bryant. And yeah, it it, it could look very different, especially on a team. That has Juan Soto. That has some other pieces. You think? Let's. If we're thinking about the Nationals, there's two guys there. I think they're both around 23. Victor Robles, really mm-hmm. talented, athletic, fast center fielder who's never hit on the big league level, but was a one-time big-time prospect. Carter Keboom is a uh, an infielder um, who they gave a chance to win an infield job last year, third base, in fact, after Rendon, and he. He did not. Like, I wonder, is one of those guys, if one of those guys is the centerpiece of a Bryant trade, a 23-year-old post-hype sleeper with a lot of major league control, a lot of upside, but, you know, uh, not super exciting, what else is part of the package? You know, how much else would you have in a package if it's, let's say, it's Robles uh, for Bryant? Yeah, well, you know, again, uh, you have to look at your own team and say, 
is he signable here, number one? And number two, do we want to sign him to a long-term deal? Do we still believe he is the player that we once had here? And if the answer is, uh, for either side is no, I think you have to make a trade. Uh, and you, you also have to look to the future. You also have to look at the economics of the situation and say, if he's not going to be with us and he doesn't want to sign with us for the future, and there have been conversations in the past about contracts, or according to people I talked to, is there is no direct offer, even though we heard rumors of him turning down $200 million at one point. Um, you know, the Bryant side says that's absolutely false, never happened. So from, from that perspective, you know, signability uh, and how he fits with your team in the future and getting the most you can now uh, rather than waiting for him to become a free agent and getting a draft pick. Uh, so, you know, it, you, you're juggling a lot of balls in the air at the same time, Matt. Yeah, you really are. You, you really are. And uh, the Nationals is a great team to have in there into the mix because of some of the availability uh, of some of the guys we've talked about. A texter wonders if Atlanta still has interest in Bryant. He's thinking about uh, Kristen Pache, the, the center fielder. Um, it, you know, Atlanta's been very active. Just signed Charlie Morton for $15 million. They took a flyer on Drew Smiley. $11 million for one year of Drew Smiley. So it's interesting. Some of those, some and teams are going to be aggressive. Morton, right? What's that? 15 yep. for Charlie Morton. Yeah. So, so yeah. Atlanta very much in, in go for it mode. Do you think they're still interested in, in Brian? No, I talking. think they're happy with their third base situation. Both Atlanta and Philadelphia were teams that, were kicking the tires uh, last year on uh, Chris Bryant, and they had young third basemen that would come back in the trade. Those things never came to fruition, but um, I think they're very happy with uh, the results of their young third baseman, how that turned out. So um, I don't know how they they fit in the future with uh, if he fits in the future with either team. Uh, Philadelphia needs pitching uh, and a lot of it, and uh, the. Uh, the Braves are probably just uh, adding on to their bullpen and and their rotation. They're pretty happy with what they have as far as uh, position players at this point. It's six seventy the score. Let's talk about some of those prospects on, on on teams that are that might be available and where where the Cubs should be targeting. Let's talk about White Sox prospects and farm systems in general with Jim Callis from uh, MLB Pipeline, who will join us when we come back. Wayne Randazzo later on. Uh, at the top of the hour on the Mets um, and their new owner, who uh, has said a lot of exciting things, and the Mets seem to be heading in a very exciting direction. So we'll talk about all of that with you on Inside the Clubhouse and Bruce Levine on 670 The Score. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot. 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast we get it attention spans just aren't what they used to be heads in social media and eyes on netflix but what do people do with their ears well for one they're listening to audio americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day oh and you want the proof well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. You've got Inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score. I'm Matt Spiegel. He is Bruce Levine. Baseball talk every Saturday morning. And our next guest joins us on the Alpamani Ford Hotline. Alpamani Ford is in Melrose Park. The guru of the amateur draft and minor league baseball, our friend Jim Callis, who you uh, pick up and read all the time on MLB Pipeline, uh, is our guest today. Good morning, Jim. How are you? Good. I'm doing great. I hope you guys are doing well and had a good Thanksgiving and everything. Hope everybody's safe on your end. We, we, uh, We hope the same for you and yours as well. Let's hop into uh, both the Chicago teams right away and give me your perspective as a guy who, you know, lives and breathes draft and minor league baseball, how you were able to, um, how were you able to uh, keep up with what's going on with the minor leagues uh, in a pandemic season of 2020 and, and really keep track of what those players are all about? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's definitely the most unusual year in the 30 years I've been covering it. And the biggest difference is there's, you know, not as much information as you'd have in a normal year. I mean, the best way, I think, to evaluate players is by watching them and seeing their performance in actual games. And unless you had guys get to the big leagues this year, you just couldn't do that. I mean, we've tried to monitor alternative camps and instructional league programs and and those types of things and uh, you know it's i know when we revise our rankings going into next year we will consider that information but we're not going to go crazy on it i mean just for instance like 
you know, I, I keep coming back to this example. You know, the Padres had a first-round pick a couple of years ago, Ryan Weathers, who was the son of ex-big leaguer David Weathers. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden he started, you know, he was, he was kind of a polished lefty coming out of high school. And this summer you heard, okay, he's throwing 97 in alternative camp. But, you know, rather than go crazy and go, oh, he's 97, we got to you know, run him way up the list. You know, is it, is, you know, is he commanding it? Is it straight? How are guys seeing it? Can he manage? You know, can can uh, you know continue? Can you continue to have a 97 mile an hour fastball for more than an inning at a time? Can he do it every fifth day? Can he do it every fifth day over six months? So it's like all these questions you can't really answer. So long-winded answer to your question, Bruce. But it's, you know, you, you, you kind of get the information as to what's going on in these camps. But I also think you have to be careful about reading too much into it, just because you know you you don't get to see how it plays out in games over a full season. And, and did different organizations get different quality of development out of their alternate site? You know, because some some seemingly have, uh, have have felt good and said good things about their prospects. But it's, you know, as always, some clubs do it better than others. It's got to make it very complicated. Yeah, and I, and I think with the alternative sites, I mean, it was interesting because we did some alternative site coverage, and people actually ate it up just because at that point, you know, you weren't getting any coverage of what was going on at those places. But, you, like, you especially can't read too much. into. I mean, not that teams lie to you, because they don't. I mean, like, yeah, yeah, I've been doing this long enough. When I started, you'd have teams that would try to mislead you about the prospects, but now that just gets exposed. So nobody does that. But I, but I always kind of liken prospects to kids. You like your kids, you love your kids more than anybody else does, and it's the same way with prospects. The teams love their prospects more than people outside the organization love them. And with the alternative camps, nobody was allowed into those camps to scout. So the only information coming out of alternative camps is coming from the team directly, and, you know, and they're, they're going to look at it with an optimistic point of view. And you were allowed to exchange. There's like a video exchange program. But, like, again, it, it's video. It was limited. You know, it depends on where the, you know, what the alternative camp video setup was. Some places only one look. I, I know talking to a guy, <laughs> I was talking to a scout who was actually scouting Quinn Priester, who was an Illinois kid who was a first-round pick last year by the Pirates. And he got some alternative camp video. He was all excited. And he's watching the video, and one of the Pirates coaches accidentally stepped in front of the camera, so he couldn't even see Quinn Priester. Like, you know, it wasn't intentional, but just the guy didn't realize where the camera was, and he was blocking the view, so you could only see kind of half of Quinn Priester. So, especially with alternative camps, you, you, you got to take it with a grain of salt. But you're right. I mean, there are organizations that are better at developing prospects than others. And, you know, I really think until we kind of get back to – it won't be fully normal, but but quasi normal next year, um, and, and see these guys actually play in a hundred plus games in the minors or the majors. It, it's going to be hard to get a full read on them. That's the voice of Jim Callis. He's uh, with MLB Pipeline. He knows everything you need to know about uh, minor league baseball as well as the draft. And uh, Matt and I were talking a little bit about the uh, fact that uh, you know with the non-tenders coming up here. That, that's a, a great way for teams to still be able to protect uh, some of their players that are, aren't on the 40-man roster right now. Do you see uh, some of the better teams in baseball uh, uh, non-tendering more guys because uh, with, the, with the better minor league systems, they want to protect more guys before the Rule 5 draft? Yeah, I mean, they've made those, decis- yeah, made those decisions. I think the deadline was the 20th, I want to say in terms of adding players to your 40-man roster, you know, unless you go out and sign a free agent or something. But, uh, you know, I do think we're going to see a massive wave of non-tenders because I think 
<laughs> you know, we don't know for sure. I mean, you, you don't know for sure exactly what the revenue losses and the, the, the profit losses were for teams, you know, because the teams didn't open their books. But, like, I think we can all take, uh, take it on faith that, yes, revenues were way down this year, and I think teams are going to look to cut costs next year. And right now, you know, if you're trying to plan your payroll for next year, you know, we don't even know, like, how many fans can be in the stands in April. And that may vary state to state. And, you know, I, I don't know how you do projections on budgets with it. With, you don't really know what the season is going to look like next year. But, yeah, I think we're going to see a ton of players non-tendered between now. And, and I think that deadline's coming up uh, sometime next week um, just because I think you're going to have a flood of those guys. I, I think even arbitration-eligible players, you're going to find out that there are teams that don't want to go to arbitration with guys. They'd rather uh, non-tender them and then have a flooded market and maybe do some bargain shopping there. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Once you flood the market, then uh, naturally the, the, the value will go down for at least a certain base uh, of players. And this is, this is nothing new in, in, in terms of that. Um, I, you know, I want to ask you about the minors, though, Jim. What is your understanding of how many teams, how many leagues, like how, how different is next year's structure going to be, assuming there is a minor league season? Uh, how different is next year's structure going to be? How many fewer players are there and it, it obviously will change what you've done your entire life in terms of scouring these systems and knowing who is where and valuing them yeah no so here's what we know they're going to have 120 full season teams which is you know what they have you had i was going to say now i guess 2019 you know everybody's going to have four full season teams you're not going to have any short season teams most teams had two or three except for your complex-based teams, your, your, your rookie-level team. You know, the Cubs have a team at Mesa. The White Sox have a team in Glendale. They're both in the Arizona League. There's a Gulf Coast League for the teams with Florida spring training sites. It sounds like we're going to know the hundred, who the 120 teams with, cities with teams actually will be, I think, in the next week or so. It sounds like they're getting close to revealing that. Teams will be limited, and I don't know exactly how they're going to count this. I know players at your foreign complexes in the Dominican won't count, but you'll have a 175-player limit in your minor league system. You, you can't have more than that. Um, you know, the thing that will be different uh, going forward is you, know, you won't have these short-season leagues, which is typically where you send a lot of your, your, your drafted players, especially out of college or, or maybe your high school players who aren't ready for full-season ball next year. It's going to expedite guys moving through the system. And I think you know, the, the other thing that's going to be different next year almost assuredly, is, you know, we're making progress with the vaccine, but again, I mean, I don't, it doesn't sound like, you know, the, the vaccine's going to take some time. So, like, the, the beginning of the season could be affected. Um, you know, I think, that, you know, protocols and, and keeping players, you know, safe from the pandemic is going to be a priority in the spring so they can get the season started on time. So my understanding is, and none of this is official yet, is that unlike past years where you'd have your major league spring training, you'd have 100 or so minor leaguers milling around, reporting early, getting work in, I think you're going to have a very tight lid on who's in major league camp. It's going to be your 40-man guys, your non-roster invitees, you know, your, your major league-related staff, and that's it. And you'll have major league spring training, and instead of doing minor league spring training concurrently, the minor leaguers probably won't come into spring training until the major leaguers are off to begin the major league, the, the big league season. So mm -hmm. I'm going to guess that next year, just from what people are telling me, and again, none of this is official yet, 
that, you know, assuming the major league season starts on time in April, um, that the minor league season will probably start in May rather than April like it would be in a normal year. So I think there'll be probably fewer minor league games next year. I know they've already talked about reducing just by a handful of games and games in double A and class A anyway. Um, you know, it's possible, I guess, they could push the minor league season into September. Um, you know, nobody knows the details on that, but I, but I do think we'll have a, a delayed start to the minor league season to make sure that, you know, they can get the major league season launched as, as they hope. Two fascinating pitchers uh, for the Chicago teams. Uh, Garrett Crochet of the White Sox that we saw uh, be the first guy in a, a million years to come directly from the draft to the major leagues without playing any minor league uh, baseball. And uh, then, of course, Braylon Marquez of the Chicago Cubs. Uh, what do you, th- you think? Let's start with Marquez. What do you, we saw him a little bit uh, uh, last year, but what do you think uh, the uh, timeline is on him? I know they'd, they'd probably like to get another year for him, but supply and demand, Jim, uh, uh, the demand is high for an arm uh, like Marquez right now for the Cubs. Yeah, I mean, he's the type of guy who I think, I mean, it's not going to hurt his long-term development, but in terms of his ETA, you really would have liked him to have a 2020 season. He, he, he really finished strong. He was throwing more strikes than ever. He's got some of the best stuff of any lefty starter in the minors, and the Cubs were really enthused about him going into 2020. You know, he'd wrapped up. Uh, you know, five starts. He's only made five starts above low A ball to this point. Um, you know, he was in, you know five starts at the end of high A in 2019. I, you know, I don't know if he would have started in Double A this year. He certainly would have gotten there, um, and then it would have been easier, I think, to launch him into the big leagues at some point in 2021. You know, maybe with a little time in Triple A. It, it's tough because, you know, he, you know, he went home. You know, when, when things got shut down, he came back. It took a while to build his arm back up because he wasn't able to do a lot of stuff back home. Um, and, and so he wasn't, you know, he got, you know, he got some work in an alternative camp. You know, they, they tried him on the last day of the season to see if he might be a bullpen weapon in the playoffs. Um, I, I don't read too much into that. He, you know, walked a few guys. Um, but he, he really, you know, if you, if you were looking at this, if, if we were looking at this going into 2020, and let's say we rather than a pandemic having wiped out the year, you would have said probably, I think, you know, after he pitched in high A last year, that he was probably a year and a half away from the big leagues. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that he really sliced too much time off that ETA with what he was able to accomplish this year. So, I mean, realistically, I, I think it's probably 2022 at some point, just because, I mean, again, he's, he's only pitched five he made five starts in, in high class A and one relief appearance in the big leagues, and that's it. I mean, that, that's that's the highest levels he's ever pitched at. As far as crochet, uh, we saw electricity before the uh, forearm started to act up, and they had to shut him down last year. But uh, how do you get more impressive than throwing strikes <laughs> and throwing at 101 or 102? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think we talked about him after the draft, and I told you guys, you know, th- this is not a guy who would have been available with the number 11 pick if it was a normal year. He had, he was great last fall. The, the, the colleges pitched fall ball, and he was a guy who was probably projected as, as a second or maybe third-round pick going into 2020. And I remember talking to scouts some at fall ball, and they're like, this guy's a top five or, or ten pick. I mean, mm-hmm. he, you know, he, his stu- the stuff we saw with the White Sox is what he was doing last fall as a starter for multiple innings at a time and with the changeup, too. And so he, he went into season as a guy who, who there was no way he was going to get to the White Sox. 
And he had some very mild shoulder soreness. And I think that at University of Tennessee, they just kind of wanted to take it easy with him, figuring, look, let's just get him rested 100% and, and turn him loose in the SEC season. Well, <laughs> there was no SEC season. And he only got to pitch once before the season got to shut down. Um, which is why, you know, and, and even though people knew he had electric stuff, people were a little concerned because they just didn't get to see it more than, you know, literally once last spring, and that's why the White Sox got him. But, no, he, you know, it's funny how easy he made it look, really, guys. I mean, you, everybody talked about, hey, maybe they'll do what they do with Chris Sale, and they'll put him in the bullpen his first year in, in pro ball, and, and they did. And, and even Chris Sale had some minor league time to – to kind of get acclimated, which Crochet didn't because there was no minor league season. I, I'll, I'll be curious to see how they use him next year. You know, I mean, we all think of Chris Sale now, obviously, as you know, one of the best starters in baseball before he got hurt. But, you know, Sale spent, you know, his next year, his first full season pro ball as a reliever also before they converted him. Um, so I, I'll, be, I'll be curious. I mean, have you guys heard? Have you heard, Bruce or, or Matt? What, I mean, I, I don't uh, think they've really all I know is All I know is uh, I, I look at him as the – dominant closer in the American League for the next five or seven years. The White Sox are still looking at him as a starting pitcher. Um, I guess I guess that's organization speak just about everywhere, and I don't blame them because why wouldn't you want an arm like that in your rotation if he can be? But, you know, knowing the way the game is played right now, uh, Matt and Jim, mm-hmm. you know, what would be better than that dominant arm at the back end? Yeah, it's tough, you know, because it's, uh, you know, if you think he can start, I mean, and you could get 180 innings out of him, I mean, I, I'm not ready to say he's Chris Sale yet, but it kind of reminds me of Sale. I mean, he threw harder than Sale, but, you know, it kind of reminds me of Sale in that, you know, this guy's got three pitches. I had, I had guys who thought his changeup was better than his slider, and we all saw how good the slider was in the, in the big leagues. I mean, we're not talking about, like, oh, he's got feel for a change. I mean, we're talking about a guy who might have three-plus or better pitches, too. So I think it's, it, it'll be an interesting call because if you keep him as a reliever, he can help you right now. Like you said, Bruce, I mean, he, he could be the dominant closer for a while. But at the same time, if he can be an all-star starter, oh, that, that's hard to pass up, too. So it'll, I, I'll be curious to see what happens with him. But he, he, he was definitely fun to watch uh, in the big leagues. He sure was uh, trying to figure out in that glut of arms who who are the next couple of guys that you would ask for if you're an opposing GM and you're looking at the White Sox prospects with Jonathan Stever and Jimmy Lambert and uh, you know other, these other arms who do you like a lot in that system, Jim? Well, I, I do like Stever. I know he had some physical issues this year. Um, I, I don't think anything major, but um, you know I think Stever's the guy who's who's closest to being ready to help, um, and we could see him in next year if he's healthy. But really, I think besides him. It's their young guys that they've gotten out of the last two drafts. You know, Jared Kelly, who who was a second round pick this year, and then Matthew Thompson, their second rounder last year, and Andrew Dahlquist, their third rounder a year ago. Um, they they spent a combined seven point one million dollars on those three guys, and they're all interesting. Thompson's really athletic. Um, you know, these guys are all young. I mean, Thompson and and Dahlquist, I think, pitched five innings between them in pro ball. Uh, and, and Kelly obviously hasn't pitched an official inning. They were all in alternative camp and instruction league. But, you know, Thompson's like, Thompson might be the best athlete in the system, really good fastball, curveball combination, still trying to polish some things up. 
Uh, Dahlquist is more the he, he's got more polish. You know, he, I think his stuff in the end won't be as big as the other two, but he's probably the most polished. And then Kelly's just a real physical guy who can already run his fastball up to 98 and has advanced feel for a changeup. His changeup's ahead of his breaking ball. But those are those are I think your keys for the future. You, it, it'll be interesting with the White Sox system. You know, we, we've talked for years about how good it is and how they're rebuilding. You know, we saw Lewis Robert this year. You know, we saw flashes of Madrigal and Crochet and Dane Dunning. Those guys are all probably going to graduate to big leaguers next year, as will Andrew Vaughn and Michael Kopech. And then, really, I think the hopes of the system will, will hinge on those young pitchers. Jim Callis. Jim Callis at MLB Pipeline is a must-read every day on the site. Please follow him. Jim, thanks so much. Uh, Matt and I really appreciate it. Have a happy and healthy holiday season. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, you guys too. Take care, guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Jim. All right, thanks, thanks. Jim. Always a wealth of information and accurate information, Jim Callis. And when we come back, Matt, uh, we'll be talking to Wayne Randazzo, one of the voices of the New York Mets and uh, a Chicago guy. We always like to catch up with Wayne. Yep, some good stuff uh, right there with Jim. Hang on, everybody, and uh, stay with us here on Inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score. So on Thanksgiving, the Philadelphia Phillies sent out a wacky caricature on all their social media channels featuring their players cooking Thanksgiving meal. Bryce Harper, Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, and then young guys, Alec Bohm, Spencer Howard, and Joe Girardi's in there. One notable exception, no JT Real Muto, Bruce Levine. JT Real Muto, not part of the graphic. Their fans were not pleased to see that on Thanksgiving Day. Yeah, their goose was cooked elsewhere when it came to Real Mutu uh-huh. uh, because he's going to be one of the, uh, probably the premier, along with Bauer, they're one-two in this uh, free agent class going forward here. How much does Real Mutu get? Probably, my, my, here, I'm hearing five years and $130 million wow. uh, for a 30-year-old catcher. Uh, most people think the best catcher in Major League Baseball, but at 30... How many years will you project them behind the plate catching 125 to 130 games? That's the that's the rub. And and do you have contingency plans if you're going to spend 130 million and you expect to get the most out of a 30 year old catcher? That's that's, uh, that's what what that's what we're looking at here. Well, the NBA market for free agency and trades was bananas with like 90 moves over the weekend and serious millions being thrown around. But their timeline is vastly different. They start a season on Christmas. They start a yeah. season already. So they've, they've got they've to get going. Baseball is a very different kind of calendar. We've got to take a break and uh, step away. And then Wayne Randazzo will come back and talk Mets and some other National League East doings uh, with us next. Sound good? Sounds great. All right. Bruce Levine is him. Matt Spiegel is me on 670 The Score. Wayne Randazzo next on Inside the Clubhouse. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.